This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, is Novak Djokovic tennis's new supervillain? The NBA Conference semifinals, a record night in the Super Netball, and round 16 and 17 of the Does Anyone Want 8th Spot on the Ladder Football League? The Sports Smorgasbord continues. Alright Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was a virtual fan sighting, and after the last couple of weeks, I'm just relieved to say there was no racism involved with it. <laughs> but uh, I was watching the Melbourne GWS match on Saturday night. Absolute cracker of a game. We'll talk about that one a little bit later. Of but course. You know how they have that Toyota fan zone thing? Yes. So who should pop up in the top right-hand corner for the Demons? A guy wearing Billy the Puppet. Oh. A, a mask of Billy the Puppet from Saw. <laughs> It was really spooky at first. I had to do this massive double take and well and truly caught my attention, so I'll, I'll give him Appropriately that. demonic for the demons. Exactly right. Mm, mm. How about yourself? Well, lots caught my attention, actually, mate. Uh, the Bryce Gibbs chair off by his former Carlton oh, teammates was lovely. That was um, brilliant. But a couple of things, and, and the re- part of the reason why we've changed it from eye to attention is one of the things is what caught my ear. So I have a good and a bad. What should I start with? What would you prefer, the bad? We'll start. Okay, we'll start with the bad. Get the bad yeah. I am sick of the artificial crowd noise. I am officially sick of it. Ah. It just insults your intelligence. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Just everything. I saw it in the cricket. I saw it in the football. I, I'm just absolutely sick of it, and I, I just I don't want to hear it. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm overreacting there. But... <laughs> no, that's a, that's, a, that's a, wow. Are you uh, okay? And and for the good. Hats off to the Channel 7 music programmers during the Geelong-Richmond game. We got, in in a pretty short space of time, we got The Gentle Art of Making Enemies by Faith No More. We got Parabole by Tool. We got uh, More Human Than Human, White Zombie. And we had Paranoid Black Sabbath. Wow. So there was some great music programmed into the uh, Friday Night Footy. More Human Than Human is one of my absolute all-time favourites. That is a great song. A great song. And then the other thing, (laughs) this is classic, Ryan Fitzgerald, uh, the old Fizzy, yeah, who played in the AFL for the Swans and Crows, has been getting angry tweets from Miami Dolphins fans mistaking him for Ryan Fitzpatrick, their their quarterback who threw a few... (laughs) It's not even the same name. (laughs) Threw a few interceptions in their week one loss. But he's he's been playing along. (laughs) I I saw something about that. I didn't get a chance to read it. Wow. Uh, Well, that's good Good on him because he's obviously got a great sense of humor. Oh, he's fantastic. Wow. Okay. What'd you miss, mate? Well, unfortunately, I missed seeing more than the highlights of the first ODI between Australia and England. It was a great start to the series for the Aussies, which, again, we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, but, we uh, sure will. But, uh, yeah, the times are just not great, unfortunately. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yes. How about yourself? What did you miss? Uh, well, unfortunately, as we mentioned last week, we recorded a day earlier because we went away and it was a lovely trip down south. Tip of the hat to Tourism WA and Margaret River. Uh, it meant that I did miss all of the NBA games last week, though. Oh, so no. I had to rely on the uh, talking heads, the, the write-ups and the highlights. Yep. But I still got to see some cricket, got to see some football. So I got to see other things, but yeah, missed the NBA this and week. And some of the beautiful southwest of WA. Yes, well, that's a, you know, it's a small price to pay. Yeah. A small price to pay. And the fetch, don't worry, the fetch box is loading up. So I've got oh, a bit... it's doing the right thing I've now. got a bit to catch up on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember the, there was that week that there you There was that one week. Yeah, no, the, the, it's probably a user error. Do you, I was going to say, do you think yeah. it might have been you? Yeah, probably. probably. But uh, yeah, yeah. So no, I've got a bit to catch up on there. Okay. Should we head into the news roundup? Yeah, go for it. In baseball, the Atlanta Braves scored a mammoth 29 runs against the Miami Marlins on the weekend, who had nine of their own, which would normally be enough to win just about any other match. 
Yeah, it kind of made me want to see where that ranked in all-time scores. There's this incredible spreadsheet put together by MLB Random Stats on Twitter. It shows kind of like a matrix, I guess, of all the scores and how many times they'd occurred. There was a score line that I saw on there. Before I get into that, though, they also have this really cool thing where a score line that's never been seen before is referred to as a scorigami. Oh, yes. I don't know why, but it just, <laughs> it's a cool-sounding name. But no, I noticed... The graphics know, were interesting. Yeah, in the bottom right-hand corner, though, a 49-33 to 33 game. Wow. From the 28th of June, 1871, <laughs> between the Philadelphia Athletics and the Troy Haymakers. Crikey. Every single player score that is awesome every single one of them that is excellent it's also excellent that they have box scores from games that were played that far back 149 yeah, years ago wow, wow. but uh, yeah America's I, pastime. I did have a quick look at that just to see if there was anyone who maybe missed out and yeah every single player for both sides scored there you go now moving on to the Tuscan Grand Prix it took place yesterday with shock horror Lewis Hamilton winning ahead of uh, yes. Valtteri Bottas and Alexander Albon putting him just one win behind Michael Schumacher. But the race was marred by a massive crash at the first corner on the opening lap. It resulted in last weekend's winner Pierre Gasly and Max Verstappen flying off the track. At one point, Romain Brojean, I believe it is, was heard to say, that was fucking stupid from whoever was at the front. Do they want to kill us or what? Who else at the front? Do we know? Uh, I think it was Bottas. Uh, He's apparently not taking, bit of a loose any, cannon. not taking any of the blame, though. Okay. But, um, but no, eight of the 20 races recorded it did not finish, including a guy named Lance Stroll who crashed on the 42nd lap, which caused the second red flag. So this right. was a really interrupted Grand Carnage. Play. It really was. Now, sure, you wouldn't guess how many goals Janelle Fowler scored in the Super Netball on the weekend over the New South Wales Swifts. 70, maybe? Yes, that's right. A record, unfortunately overshadowed by the fact that her teammate Verity Charles was spat on by a salty Queensland Firebirds fan who thought she was a traitor for changing teams. But 70, that's magnificent. 96% accuracy. Yeah, broke her previous record, I think. 66. 66 so. Yeah, clickety-click. And the team that they beat only scored 71. That's right, that's Swiss, right, so, that's correct. So she nearly beat them on yeah. her own, which yep. is... I mean, no, they've only got two players inside that circle, but still, to do that is yeah, very, impressive. It's a great impressive. effort. It's a great effort. Very impressive. Now, in boxing, viewers were left horrified when a bear was pulled towards the ring by two handlers and made to wave to cameras before a match between Russian star Sergei Karatonov and boxing veteran Danny Williams on Saturday. Dare I say only in Russia? Well, pretty much, unfortunately. Mm, mm. It was it was Karatonov's professional boxing debut. He demolished his 47-year-old opponent, but this bout will always be remembered for all of the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Mm, mm, terrible. Speaking of wrong reasons, in the UFC, Ed Herman defeated Mike Rodriguez by submission after the referee incorrectly called a timeout thinking Rodriguez had landed a low blow to Herman, which actually should have been a TKO. UFC boss Dana White called it the most disgusting thing he'd seen, and Rodriguez will actually be paid winner's money as a result. Most disgusting thing he's seen. Yeah, I know. I thought that's maybe that's a bit a hyperbolic. Bit of an, a bit of overkill there. I mean, considering some of the, the knockouts that I've seen in there where guys have been getting kneed in the nose and things, there's been a lot worse. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a big overreaction. But a classy move to pay winner's money to the guy who was loser when he shouldn't have been. Yep, yeah, no, I respect that, definitely. If you have a question for the sport blokes, email them sportblokes at gmail.com or find them on Twitter at sportblokes. Please also like, rate and subscribe. Tell your friends. So let's start with the tennis this week, Stewie. Big news overshadowing the victors. 
Yeah, obviously the huge story of the week occurred just hours after we recorded last week. And of course, one of the biggest stories of the year would happen on the Monday morning, the one week we record on a Sunday. Yep, bound to happen. But yes, Novak Djokovic sensationally defaulted from the tournament after hitting a line judge in the throat. He had his serve broken quite late in the first set against Pablo Carreno Busta of Spain. Djokovic was absolutely flawless in the first set on serve. He lost only three points up until the five-all mark. He also had chances up 4-3 to break Karana Busta, but failed to take advantage. He had three set points at 5-4 up. Karana Busta hit a winner. Djokovic then had a let call that just stayed on his side. And then after seeing a beautiful drop shot land in from Karana Busta, emotions just started. I mean, he lashed out at a ball, smashed one into one of the advertising boards. Very hard. And then he just imploded. Mm. Forehand error. He slipped on one of the lines, I guess, which kind of gave him a stinger in the shoulder. And before you knew it, he was broken. Mm. In frustration, he's just turned around and smashed the ball to the back of the court and hit this line judge and the rest is history. So it copped her in the neck. Yeah. So the, so the, the silver lining here is... That yes, okay, normally if we'd recorded on a Monday, we would have been able to talk about it. But the silver lining is, because I was on annual leave, I was up very late. And ha- actually happened to see it all unfold live. So it was quite a bizarre situation. So I'd, I'd done a little bit of editing, putting in the music and everything on our show. And then I turned on the telly, and the score was there, but they're packing up their rackets. There's no rain. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And as it unfolds, you know, I'd see the footage and hear from the commentators and everything. And it was really interesting because... A lot of people think that it was harsh, and I don't think many will argue that he probably would have walked away with yet another title if he hadn't got defaulted. But all the commentators said, the minute he hit it, we knew he was going to get done. And every player knows that if you hit a Lions person, you're going to get done. That's it. So it's somewhat controversial, but he should have known better. I don't think it is controversial. I think the, the rule is very much Yeah, well, that's right. Unfortunately. I agree. And that's the, that's the thing. But the thing that annoyed me about this was the ensuing discussion. So Djokovic could be heard saying, she doesn't have to go to the hospital for this. You're going to choose a default in this situation. My career, Grand Slam, center stage. Mm. If she would have gotten up right away, you know, mm. it's basically... It's, well, it's funny you say that because, again, watching it live, I noticed that he kind of walked over to her, but he didn't he, seem a hell of a lot compassionate he, about he, it. He, like, didn't, he didn't run. And that's yeah, no, that's right. He, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it, to me, it's one of those things. And a lot of people have been giving her death threats, which seems to be the thing to do in 2020. Oh, it's crazy. Saying that she went down like a sack of spuds. There was no need for her to, to go down like that because it barely hit her. I think the shock enough would, would floor some people. I th- don't think people understand what it's like to get hit by a tennis ball and throw yep. it. Yeah, yep, yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah, and I, he didn't smack it, but you know, it's hard enough. It would be coming probably at least 30k an hour. At oh, least. Oh, more. Yeah. So I, I, I it think, would hurt. I think that would have been coming around 70. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that that would have hurt a lot. So anyway, but he um, he then went on to snub reporters. He pretty much, I believe he, they were taking his entire tournament fee off him for, for all of the stuff that he did. So mm. he's copped a pretty hefty fine. But I will say this. For years, Djokovic has just wanted to be seen in the same light as Nadal and Federer. He constantly plays up to the fans, trying to get them on his side, and it's not happening. Mm. Do you think he should just embrace the villain card? Well, that's an interesting it's an interesting theory. Maybe. Maybe he should. Because you've got Daniel Medvedev, who's probably the biggest villain at the moment. He loves when the crowds are against him. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's the sort of guy who just needs to be loved. Well, it's funny you say that because I have heard commentators say that he's the sort of bloke that really loves the good attention. He doesn't want the bad attention. Mm. The other interesting thing was the McEnroe boys had kind of different views. And they were both kind of villains in their own right, known for their tempers in their time. 
John thought it was a real shame that a star of the game was taken from the tournament. Pat said this was on the cards for a little while and it wasn't all that surprising that it happened. Mm. And someone got defaulted in the lead-up tournament. Ah. And plus, you know, there's been instances Tim Henman got done at Wimbledon one year. So it's not unprecedented. And, and as I say, all the commentators, like unanimously, all the commentators said, and they went to the studio where they had a round table, all of them said, every player knows if you hit a lines person like that in anger, granted he didn't hit it as hard as the other one, but if you do it, you'll get done. Yep. So. And it's funny you say that. You mentioned the Tim Henman incident. There have been a lot of similar instances in the past and plenty of others involving verbal abuse as well. But mm. there are five others, so maybe Novak doesn't have to feel quite so bad here. So as you mentioned, <laughs> first, here we go. Yeah, first round of Wimbledon in 1995, Tim Henman playing with Jeremy Bates in the doubles. He smashed a ball girl in the head with a ball. I mean, that's a, an instant disqualification, unfortunately. Also in 1995, German Carsten Ariens was disqualified from the French Open for hitting a line judge with his racket. Wow. Which is pretty brutal. Jeez. In 2007, Aussie Anastasia Rodianova was defaulted for hitting a ball at fans cheering for her opponent, Angelique Kerber. <laughs> so she's actually started smashing him into the crowd. So Karaki. pretty crazy. In 2012, Argentinian David Nalbandian was disqualified for kicking an advertising board into the shins of a line judge. I've seen that one a number of times and he absolutely lined him up. And the most recent one in terms of the big names, Canadian Denis Shapovalov, it's a really hard name to pronounce that Yeah, one. We, have a few, we will have a few this week, actually. We will. But he was defaulted in the deciding rubber of a 2017 Davis Cup match. Ooh. So, yeah, crazy. So big stakes there, too. Playing against Kyle Edmund, and he smashed a ball basically into the eye of the chair umpire. Mm. So I think he was trying to put it out of the stadium, but unfortunately mm. a little bit too low. So. Mm. So, yeah, as I mentioned, it unfortunately overshadowed the winners. So, Naomi Osaka won her second consecutive US Open in the women's side. And in the men's side, Dominic Thiem won his first Grand Slam title. And in pretty spectacular circumstances, he was down two sets to love to Alexander Zverev. And at one stage, Zverev had two match points. So, so pretty exciting final. So, it's a real shame that this controversy kind of overshadows, or maybe not controversy, this event overshadows the tournament and then of course uh dylan didn't have a win like we thought he might well he won the doubles oh that's true sorry that's right that's right but no it's very interesting you know you sort of say about the the two sets to love down it's so fitting considering what we spoke about last week there was those seven matches in the first two rounds that were two sets to love Mm, that's right yeah that's true so it's almost like the tournament for it full circle yeah yeah yeah. yep but no obviously once Djokovic was out the the draw opened up and ultimately it probably ended up with two of the, the three best remaining players in the final Team became the first man in open era to recover from two sets to love down to win the first US Open final decided in a fifth set tiebreaker as well. Ah, of course, because the US Open has tiebreakers in the fifth set. So, yeah, really, really amazing final. The only Grand Slam to do so. And, And obviously so great to see some of the next generation starting to make their name. On any other day, Sverev would have been a very worthy winner. But a lot of people having a go at the quality of tennis, but it's so easy to forget that neither of these guys have won a Grand Slam before. So, And not only that, it's COVID times. Yeah. People are stuck in hotels. It's not usual. Yeah. Standards will drop. That's it. But, but the nerves as well. Obviously, there's so... Yeah, so well, that's... Yeah, first... Yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah, definitely an amazing final and, and certainly one that I think will go down in the history books for so many different reasons. In the women's, as you mentioned, Naomi Osaka took out the, the title. Unseeded Victoria Azarenka, though, was the player that she beat in the final after she took out Serena Williams in the semis. 
she flew through the first set 6-1 and was actually up a break on Osaka in the second. So she mm. looked to be cruising towards her first win in a Grand Slam since 2013, but mm. unfortunately she imploded as well. Mm. So, yeah, that was that was a bit of a shame for Azarenka. It would have been a really cool story for Yeah, her. yeah, yep. Shades of Ivanisevic at Wimbledon beating oh, our Aussie Pat Rafter. That's still... One of the greatest matches of all time. I saw that live at the local basketball stadium after playing a game of basketball. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I had a friend who put money on Ivan Izovic and won an absolute pile. Oh, wow. Yeah, who yeah. Was that? Oh, this was back in Adelaide. Oh, right. Fair yeah, enough, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we, I don't know if we'd mention names on here anyway. No, we? that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, though, Dylan Alcott fell in a three-set thriller to Dutchman Sam Schroeder in the quad singles, but he and Andy Lapthorne got revenge in the doubles final. So, good on Dylan. And look, as much as we love Aussie Dylan, it's... A bit boring if he wins all the time. Exactly. So, yeah, no. good good for the competition there too. Definitely. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes from the world of all elite wrestling. Thankfully, no virtual fan incidents, as I mentioned earlier in the show. <laughs> for but once. We actually had a really scary moment with one of my favourites growing up, Matt Hardy. Ah, yes. sickening blow to the head. He was facing Sammy Guevara, and the plan was for Guevara to deliver a spear to Hardy from the top of a scissor lift onto a table. So not exactly high by the Hardy standards. They go pretty pretty high up. Well, they used to love those TLC matches. They did, they mm. did. But unfortunately, there wasn't really much give in the floor. And that was part of the problem. So they overshot the table. Hardy slams his head onto the concrete floor and ended up with a massive concussion. And it was one of those really obvious ones where... He's trying to spaghetti stand legs. Up. Yeah, real spaghetti legs. Trying yep. to stand up, trying to remember what his moves are, and it just remember it just the script. There I say. Happening. Yeah. But amazingly, yeah, well, yes, remember the script. True. But no, the amazing part about this was that the AEW doctors actually cleared him to continue, mm. so they stopped the, the match momentarily for him to get a checkup, and they said that he could continue even though he had one of the clearest concussions you could possibly imagine. Mm. He ended up going to the hospital and having scans on his brain. And this is a couple of weeks after the same guy hit him in the face with the edge of a chair and basically split him open. So Matt Hardy's wife was not particularly happy. She took to Twitter and voiced her displeasure in you know no uncertain words. But I guess that it begs the question for me on how can this happen and when does the individual become more important than the sport and the spectacle? Mm, mm. Well, and we're in a new world now. There's concussion protocols in every sport. There probably needs to be concussion protocols in wrestling too. You would think so. I mean, they always say that, yes, it's entertainment, but don't try this stuff at home because... Mm. You know, guys can get killed. And oh, Owen Hart. Before, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, that was a bit different. That was out of the ring, but it's, it's all a part it's a of the stunt. Sp- yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. A stunt. Yep, yep. So, so yeah, the Hardy Boys—they have a long history of pushing the boundaries, but this is just too much for me. Mm. Bloody hell! Bloody hell! Bloody hell! Football codes, Shuey. The EPL. Well, it feels like it just finished, but it's in full swing once again. 48 days ago it finished. Or, sorry, 48 days before the first match was played. So right. not a huge turnaround time. No, month and a half, Yeah, yeah. But no, what it a is, year. It is back. Well and truly with a bang, though. I know you and the missus won't be too happy with the result against Liverpool. With Leeds Jeez, it's hard. To, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to play against the previous uh, winner in your first game back in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, to go down 4-3 from it's a a, gallon effort. an 88th-minute penalty as well. Yeah, well, they had hurts. two penalty scores. I saw the highlights. Mm, yeah, A hat-trick to Mo Salah. Ah, well, yeah, well done to him. But no, look, great signs about the sort of game style that Leeds are going to be playing this year. A lot of attacking stuff, which is good. In other games, Arsenal beat Fulham 3-0. Newcastle beat West Ham 2-0. Crystal Palace 1-0 over Southampton. Leicester beat West Brom 3-0. And Everton beat Tottenham 1-0. That was the other one where the fake crowd was stupid. 
I knew there was another sport I forgot. Oh, I was Watching the highlights of that. Just the buzz. It's just, I don't know. It's weird with empty... St- I suppose it's because you can see the seats as well. Yeah, yeah, it's just weird. That's fair. Incidentally as well, goalkeeper Matt Ryan's now actually the only Aussie left in the EPL because wow. Aaron, Aaron Moy went across to China. So so that must be one of some of the leanest uh, Aussie representation in decades. Yeah, Many decades. Probably since before the, the days of Viduka and Kill, funnily enough. So, mm, mm. Yeah, interesting. Also, something that I saw today in French soccer, uh, Neymar was involved in a huge scuffle in Marseille's 1-0 win over Paris Saint-Germain. He alleges that one of the Marseille players, Marseille, that he is a monkey son of a bitch. Oh, dear. Punches thrown, five players sent off, including Neymar. He five said he, red cards, yeah. Yeah, he said he had one regret, and that was not punching the guy in the face. Jeez. He hit him in the back of the head, which yeah, low, yeah. unfortunately looks like a bit of a dog out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there'll potentially be more to come from this as some of the reports actually start coming out. Yeah, look, I don't condone violence, but I certainly don't condone racism, and you've got to stand up to it. So, you know, that's maybe not the best way, but... Yeah, I mean, you don't want to say racism allows you to condone violence, but... No. In that instance, I would say a punch to the back of the head. The guy's lucky that's all he got. Yeah, well, maybe. NRL, Nath. So, in a really, really good news story, part-time plumber Dragons Cody Ramsey had two tries on debut, one of which with his first touch, and he was very, very shy of a hat-trick on debut, which would have been magnificent Wow. for St. George Illawarra. Yeah, it's getting interesting. I mean, a couple of weeks left in the season. The Penrith Panthers are a game and a half on top. They, they probably won't get caught. But no final round dramas, though. The, the last final spot is absolutely sewn up. Cronulla six points clear of ninth place West Tigers and only two games to go, so they, they can only get four points from that. But there's still a lot of jockeying for position to be done. Only a couple of points separating third and fifth and only a couple of points separating sixth from eighth as well. So sixth place Rabbitohs play the third place Roosters and the fifth place Raiders take on the eighth place Sharks in round 20. So we, we've mentioned on a number of occasions that rugby is not really a sport that we enjoy or watch a whole bunch not of. Not our favourite. But look, we'll have to give it some time as we get into the finals and yeah, sort of talk a little bit more about this unique season. Speaking of the Rabbitohs, former Rabbitohs junior Aussie Jordan Malata had a good debut at right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL, which kicked off over the weekend. He's 156 kegs. He's apparently. a big bloke, but right tackles, the offensive linemen are big blokes. They are big blokes. Uh, unfortunately, they lost to the Washington football team. <laughs> Uh, it still sounds wrong. I did. I did. I, I did a bit of double screen action last night, so I watched the first quarter of the New England Patriots and Miami Dolphins. While I also had the uh, second ODI on, I did. Unfortunately, I had to go to bed at quarter time, and at about the fifteenth over mark, it was one thirty at that stage. I did have work today, so did have to give it away there. How'd Cam Newton go? Uh, well, he's on my bench. But he did have two touchdowns, so he played pretty well. Okay. He played pretty well. Was it um, a scoreless quarter in that? Yeah, the first quarter was scoreless. It was it was a pretty kind of average start, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not a great start. But it was 21-11 in the end. Uh, the first time a bloke other than Tom Brady wearing a Patriots jersey for 20 seasons. Hmm. Speaking of, Tommy lost his first game as a Tampa Bay quarterback uh-huh. against Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. They had a combined age of 84. The two, the two quarterbacks wow. there. And uh, the Raiders had their first game and first win as Las Vegas. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Now, I've got to say something quickly before we get to the AFL. In the Waffle, the Perth Demons have made the finals for the first time in 22 years. Nice. And the Subiaco Lions have missed the finals for the first time in God knows how long. I didn't research that, wow. but it's a bloody... Like, the Lions have dominated the Waffle for decades. Wow. Yeah. 
Like, didn't I say earlier in the year they'd only dropped two games in three yeah, seasons? Yeah, I feel like that was only a few weeks yeah, ago. How yeah. the season over already? Yeah, yeah, well, the waffle was really short in season. Played four games. I think they only played each other once. Yeah, so okay. I, I must admit, I haven't followed it very closely, but we are planning to go to Freo over on Sunday to see my Claremont Tigers play. Mm, so there you there go. You go. Uh, before we get to the AFL games, bit of news with retirements and signings. It's kind of that time of year. Yeah, so Connor McKenna's officially pulled the pin. He's heading back to Ireland. No real surprise there. Probably one of the worst-kept secrets in football. Good on him. He, as we mentioned previously, he was he, he was great for the Bombers. Unfortunately, just not a great year for him, and I think that it's taken a mental toll on him. So that's Fair enough. Fair. Fair enough. And a pair of blues. Bryce Gibbs and Matty Cruz are retired. I think you mentioned before about Bryce Gibbs being chaired Shared off, off by... by Carlton yeah, Blues, so which... obviously he played his last season in Adelaide. He's a South Aussie. Or maybe played a couple of seasons. Couple, yeah. yeah. Uh, South Aussie by birth, but uh, really nice. And from my understanding, it's the first time ever that a bloke's been chaired off by opposition. Mm. So, yeah, okay. nice nice little finish there yeah, for him. Yeah, definitely. And then Sean Burgoyne signed on for season number 20. That is... <sighs> and he only needs to play half a season to become the, the fourth player to, yeah, yeah, to the 400 club, which would also make him the longest-serving Indigenous player. In fact, he might already be. In front of Goodsey. It'd be pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so great news there. And there's a school of thought, interestingly enough. So there's a hard cap on coaching. So there's a school of thought that some of these older blokes might stay on to play for cheap deals and kind of be hybrid oh, player coaches. Okay. So watch this space. It's interesting because I've got a question about that for you later on when we talk oh, about Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Any injuries? Well, yes, we did. Teflon Tom. He might be Teflon Tom at the tribunal, but he's not Teflon Tom in the uh, injury. Christ, there are so many injuries this <laughs> round. All right, let's rattle them off. So, Taylor Duman did his ankle in the Fremantle-Melbourne game. Aiden Core did his in the GWS-Adelaide game. Jack Martin did his calf, and Nick Blakey has a sore shoulder from the Carlton-Sydney game. Brandon Stasevich copped a really bad concussion going for a spoil and had his legs taken from under him. Jared Berry landed really badly on his right shoulder, so that was a pretty bad couple from the Brisbane-Gold Coast game. Jeremy McGovern did his hamstring. That's a big out. Yeah. Well, it's not the only big out. Richmond have some problems, don't they? That's the very next game, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah. So, Ivan Soldo had a really nasty-looking knee injury from a marking contest. Just completely buckled. Yeah, it it didn't look great. And and as you mentioned, if the MRP can't take Tom Lynch out, a hamstring will do just that. Yeah, yeah. So, not great timing for Richmond. No. Neville Jetta hurt his ankle in a massive collision in the GWS Melbourne game. Sam Doherty did a calf and Zach Fisher did a shoulder in the Carlton Adelaide game. Toby McLean, unfortunately, looks to have done his, his ACL after Jonathan Segler landed on it in the Hawthorne Western Bulldogs game. Lewis Taylor has a foot complaint from the first couple of minutes of the Sydney-Brisbane game. Uh, and in the game that just was completed, the Collingwood-Gold Coast game, Sean Lemons had a corked thigh very early in this one, probably the first couple of minutes. So lots of injuries. So lots of games too. Not a good week if you're a milestone player, by the way. Zach Tui lost in his 200th. Uh, Goldstein lost in his 250th. So spotlight game with huge implications finals-wise and close as well. Melbourne 12-7-79 defeating GWS 11-8-74 on Saturday. This was the game I really wanted to say was the game I was out for last week, but I didn't want to jinx it. Yes, 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 yes. This was exactly the sort of game that this round needed. I wish I saw it. 
Like the West Coast and Kilda game was a beauty, but this was an all-out cracker. So, mm. and still the Demons continue to tease us. But for now, they sit sort of around that eighth spot, which is where they need to be. So, trick or treat, Melbourne Demons. No joke. Ed Langdon was a bit wasteful with the ball. Had ten turnovers from his twenty-three touches, but his gut running late in that game was crucial. Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca were their usual ball magnet selves. Forty-four hitouts and eight clearances for Max Gorn. Huge game from him as well. Love Gorny. And for the Giants, Tom Green, 21 contested possessions from his 30. That, he, that kid is... He's had a great season. ...looking fantastic. Josh Kelly, 24 touches, 10 inside 50s, 707 metres gained. So some really cool stats. But one of the key stats I saw in the fourth quarter that kind of outlined the game. So in the first quarter, when Melbourne were absolutely smashing it, they had a 7-1 to one hitouts to advantage lead. But then from there, it was 5-all. And that was kind of when you saw them started to work back into the game and the Giants kind of looked like they might run over the top of them. So Gorn was huge, but he didn't dominate quite as much as the stats maybe indicated. GWS's contested possession count was very impressive, but one goal four between Jeremy Cameron and Toby Green. It was the smalls, Brett Daniels, Daniel Lloyd, Zach Williams. They were the ones that looked dangerous. It's not a great thing if you're a Giants fan, but look good on Melbourne for kind of giving us that hope. I, I think most of us want to see them get eighth spot Probably because it will push Collingwood. A tortured up. fan base. No, well, Collingwood are secure, I think, actually. But uh, yeah. yeah, tortured fan base. Oh, they are from tonight. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Yep. Good point. Um, couple of fun ones though. Did you see Toby Green finally get a bit of comeuppance? He kind of got greened by <laughs> foot to the head. Yes. Yeah, that was that was a good good bit of a fun. Good mark, but for a yeah shoot of the face, yeah, yeah. or knee of the face, yeah. Now, is that dribbler from Brent Daniels one of? The, is that the goal of the year for you? Well, I'd have to review the whole list. But geez, it was magnificent, wasn't it? That the, the that little, the little, the little fl- touch, the little flick, up the little to it had everything, didn't it? The little flick to yourself, which you could have missed, and I did miss until you pointed it out to me. So the little, not solo, but yeah, little flick to himself, detail, yeah. and then the little dribble, you know, the the anticipation, will it get there? Won't it get there? The curve, and the, yeah, the angle on that thing, because usually people have that thing turn maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 degrees. His turn and it might stop 10 centimetres shy of the goal yeah. line, but it just dribbled through just far enough. His went 90 degrees. It, yeah. was, a, it was a Shane Warne special, basically. And great call from James Brayshaw, too, i got to say. Yeah, the it, was. Box, yeah. it was. Yeah. Now, the, the serious one, unfortunately, what did you make of the decision to drop Steve Cornelio for a must-win game? Well, the writing's been on the wall a little while. He's being paid a lot of money, but GWS have a great list, and yeah, it's an interesting one. But round 17? Well, and do you know what? From my understanding, this is the first time a captain's been dropped in over 20 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have to fact check that, but like, it's very rare a captain gets dropped. There's a lot of conjecture that Jeremy Cameron might get dropped this week. Mm. So, and he's seeking a big payday this off season too. And a lot of people saying that he won't be with GWS next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd rather us chase him than than Danaher, to be honest. Yeah, true. Yeah, at least he's not made of glass. And, well, and you've got guys in the midfield who can actually give him some decent service. So. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the start chronologically. Round 16, Frio 6 11 47, defeated Melbourne 4 9 33. Seems like an absolute lifetime ago because it was the, the Monday. Yes. <laughs> but no, this looked like it might well have been the nail in the Demon's Coffin at the yes, time. Yes, it did. Just yes. four days after the abysmal showing they had against the Swans as well. Michael Walters was a cut above the rest in a very wet and slippery day. His three goals probably proved the difference in a low scoring, fairly inaccurate match as well. He heard you talking about him missing goals, probably. He did, good yeah. on him. But sadly, Matty Taverner dropped off the yes, list of guys did, to kick a goal in every, every game. game. Yeah, well, he was the only one left, I believe. He was the only one left, so yeah. three, three behinds there, unfortunately. But he still could finish second in the Coleman, though. 
He yeah, could. Yeah. He could. I'm not saying he will, but he could. It's, it's certainly possible. And geez, how in God's name did Jack Viney get up after running full tilt into Ethan Hughes's leg? Well, his uh, father Todd Viney was a tough nut, so to uh, get up that quickly. Yeah, I know. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty amazing. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. I mean, you almost don't want to celebrate that because you don't want blokes no, to yeah, get out quickly. Know, yeah, yeah, My yeah. God. There's a bit of speculation he may not be around next season. Oh, okay. Yeah. Watch this space. Okay. Round 16, Adelaide, 8-11-59. They won again, defeating GWS 7-5-47. Yeah, the Giants playing a bit of one-upmanship. If Melbourne can lose to Freo, then we'll lose to Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, Adelaide have the equal longest winning streak outside of the top three. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it's it? It's nuts. I actually caught the end of this game, and I, I almost had to rub my eyes to make sure I was seeing the right thing. Yep. We're actually starting to see a bit of the dominance from what on paper looks to be one of the better midfields around, though. You've got Rory Laird, the Crouch brothers, Rory Sloan. They're actually starting to play some decent footy. Well, yeah. It's it's easy when the pressure's off, isn't it? A little bit. It is. And the Crouch brothers, I think, have had a average seasons. But, uh, yeah. Oh, GWS. Yep. 49 to 26 inside 50 count. And Riley O'Brien dominated the hitouts. More than a 2 to 1 ratio. So that all, always helps. Give that kid a phone. Yes. He's already got one. He's got a really nice one. <laughs> I will say this one question. Bobby Hill's mark, is that mark of the year? Again, I'd have to review everything, but geez, it'd be in the short list. It's got to be it was top lovely. two or three. It was lovely. Such a perfect set. Yeah, oh, was... by the way, I mentioned a few weeks ago that one of the players had designed the jersey for the Giants for the Indigenous round. Oh, yes. It was Bobby Hill. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I forgot. Nice. I knew it was one of their younger Indigenous players, but yeah, what a, a cracking outfit that is. And they wore it again on that. that yeah, game, so. yeah. A few teams have, have worn it in multiple rounds, which mm. has been nice to see. It is good. And I think they have the best one. Yeah, I know, I agree. Round 16 as well. Carlton, this happened straight after the previous game. 8-9-57, defeating the Swans 8-4-52. I'll tell you what, they spotted us nearly 40 points in the first quarter. I think I think we led by about 37 at quarter time, and then we barely scored from there. From half time, one goal, two. Yeah, yeah. It's we enjoyed a lovely meal at the Settlers Tavern down there in uh, Margaret River watching this one, and my girlfriend thinks I'm a weirdo for being kind of happy that we lost, but hey, high draft picks. Draft picks, that's what it's all about. Yep. But no, look, how can Carlton show that much urgency to win a game and then, well, we'll get to their next game? And then to finish round 16 in the Q Clash, Brisbane 13 10 88 defeated the Gold Coast 6 7 43. Do we need to say much about this? Look, unfortunately, I missed this one because of a family dinner, but 33 touches from Lockie Neal continues his Brownlow push. He's almost unbackable at this stage. Three goals from Cam Rayner. He should have had four, though. He did a Jack Rewalt. Uh, Took a mark about 10 metres out. The slightest of angles. Kicked around the body and missed. And by the way, we, we talked about how Jason Dunstall said that he was being disrespectful by doing that. But Jack likes doing that all the time. He wasn't just doing it for shits and giggles in that other game. 10 metres out. Kid. Yeah, well, hey, again, it's blokes that are too scared to back themselves with a drop punt. Look, I said it to Rewalt and I'll say it to Cam Rayner. Kick a bloody drop punt. Yep. Blight on the game. To kick off round 17, West Coast Eagles 9-11-65 defeated St Kilda 6-14-50. Nice to get a decent win against a good side yep. in Brisbane. I will yeah, say. a lot of people tip the Saints too. Oh, I would have. This was a real gut check win. I'd written previously before the game even finished about how poor Jeremy McGovern's foot skills can be from time to time. But geez, he was missed after he went off. Yeah, it leaves a huge hole. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Look, when the Saints got up in the middle of the fourth quarter by about eight points, the, the Eagles just looked gassed. I wondered if they were going to get completely run off the park, and then Tim Kelly all of a sudden just stepped up, played his best game as an Eagle. 30 touches, nine clearances, key goal in the fourth. I also want to highlight, though, how amazing Liam Ryan was. His poise around the contest was unreal. There was one... He basically sat down to avoid a tackle. 
Hmm. It was kind of almost like a cardboard cutout was was sort of coming towards him with a weird shaped hole, and he kind of <laughs> made that shape. That toward... crappy show hole in the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like that. So he, uh, he sat down to make this weird shape while two, uh, that two lasted three, all of five minutes. Yeah, two or three. Ta- well, he would do really well on that. But uh, no, it was absolutely amazing. I will say this though, with Jeremy McGovern, Luke Shuey, and Mark Hutchings all doing hamstrings in the past couple of weeks as part of a five games in nineteen days stretch for us. How do you think the league should look back on the scheduling and how do you rate it? Well, oh, I think they're going to say that it's unavoidable because they didn't want to finish too late in the season with the summer months coming in. You know, we, we speculated and predicted this, didn't we? Mm. So, And look, in some ways, to be honest, I'm surprised there haven't been more. So, look, it's unfortunate. But what's, what's, it, your, it was, what's your grade, though? What would you give it as a grade? What, the fixturing? Fixturing, yeah. In the circumstances, B-. minus. I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting question. Yeah, it's, and it's probably one I should have given you a bit more notice <laughs> on, but no, I, I think realistically I'd give it a... I'd, I'd have to stack up every team and I'd have to look at everything. To, Most yeah. teams have had those horrible yeah, runs. Yeah, though, that's right. And when you look at the amount of injuries that are happening and the amount of calves and hamstrings... Soft tissue, and, and yeah. Exactly, those soft tissue injuries. It's... Yeah, I, I honestly don't think that the league should look back on this too favourably. I think they've they've really... I think they've messed it up quite frankly. And I'm not just saying that because all of a sudden the Eagles are getting injuries, but a lot of teams have had those same issues. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. In the Friday night fixture, as I mentioned, Richmond 7-15-57 defeated Geelong 4-7-31 in a rare poor outing for the Cats, their first loss in Queensland this season. This was really one of those ones where it wasn't even so much Geelong being poor. It was just Richmond forcing them to be. Richmond are going to be really tough to beat this year. Weirdly, though, Geelong were kind of still in the game late. They were, yeah. It was, was a funny yeah, old game, yeah, wasn't it? really it? was. Yeah, Dylan Grimes was magnificent. He, he was superb. And so Noah Bolter was sensational against Tom Hawkins. He yeah, yeah, one yeah, goal. yeah. But, I mean, Geelong had a 32-16 to 16 clearance domination and they couldn't take advantage of it because of the defense. So what I'm really, really keen to see, though, is what the impact is of the Lynch and Soldo injuries. Yes. Because yes. Soldo will be done for the season, you have to assume. And Lynch... Maybe not to a grand final. Is that okay? I don't know. I'm just speculating. Well, well, I mean, a hammy... Yeah, no, actually, no. He'd be back earlier than that. Because we're about six weeks out. Yeah, yeah, so, no. But even so, I mean, if, it, if But it's they have the double chance. So even if they lost in the first week... Yeah, no, he'd be back well before the grand final. Yeah. I should have done my maths there. But it, it will be interesting to see, because this means they can't throw that, that tag team ruck sort of thing with Dan Curvis at everyone, which... So they've got Nankervis, they've got Chol to come back potentially, so they do have options. They're still caddy to come back. So, yeah, you Richmond, think, they'll be okay, you forget, but... You just forget how deep they are. And, you know, Jack Rewalt kicked four, so he's back into form. Mm. So they need him to be in form without Lynch around. Freo, 15-9-99, defeated North 5-5-35. Mundy was absolutely magnificent. I think he might win their best and fairest. At 35, too. Probably should. Yeah. Jeez, this one well and truly copped the Stewie curse. Remember last week, I didn't want to ruin any game, so I just <laughs> said I will throw in Fremantle, North Melbourne. 64 points. But yeah, unfortunately, a shocker for the Roos in Goldstein's 250th. One win from their last 14 matches. Oh, no, after starting 2-0. It's crazy. Is Reece Shaw the right man for the job? Well, who knows? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It's somewhat rhetorical at this stage because mm. obviously they'll make the decision in the off-season, but... Yeah, just does, he doesn't look like he has the answers. He's kind of where Simon Goodman was a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, it'd be hard to fire a bloke after one season. True. But, uh, yeah. Uh, another walloping. Port 11-13-79 defeated Essendon 4-5-29. 
Yeah, Tommy Rockliffe, brilliant. Great support from Ollie Wines and Travis Boat. The power looked really good in clean in wet conditions, which could prove useful at a dewy gabba. Oh, yes. No, I like the look of Port. Six weeks' time. So, yeah, yeah. Look, you can see that the Bombers are already looking towards 2021, and the sooner they can get John Warspold out of that coaching box, the better. <laughs> I don't think anything more really needs to be said about this game. I think it's, yeah, stay on the sidelines. Uh, Adelaide 10, 12, 72, defeated Carlton, 8, 8, 56. Yes, Adelaide, three on the trot. Three in a row. And that's three wins. Yeah, geez, where has this been all season from the Crows? Again, no team outside of the top three has a longer winning streak, and we're starting to see the direction and the rise of this young Crows team. Lockie Scholl and Harry Schoenberg were superb. But geez, what a mediocre performance from Blues in a game they had to have to give themselves an outside chance at playing for Another goals. tortured fan base. Five goals to nothing in the first quarter after three goals nothing against the, the Swans. They're just setting themselves up for failure. But there's talk about this Patrick Cripps goal being goal of the year. I hate to be a buzzkill, but he must have run at least 20 metres. It's so funny you mentioned that because when I saw the highlights with my girlfriend, the first thing I said was, I think he might have run too far then, maybe. Mm, yeah. he, he would have been 15 metres outside the 50 metre mark and he was running... I mean, the skills were undeniable. Left and right. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, he had it on a yo-yo. Yeah. But he did run a little... Yeah. Cool, yeah. we're on the same page there. I like Borderline, borderline. Oh, I like it. Nearly at the end of the mammoth list of games here. Dogs 11-10-76 defeated Hawthorne 6-4-40. Hawthorne's woes continue. Yep, a game the Dogs would have expected. We, nothing's 100% right now. Clinical first half, they just sort of put the foot down after the, the McLean injury and they just coasted. Probably disappointing though for them to lose the second half to Hawthorne. Bonds and Pelly and Daniel were superb. No passage of play summed up Hawthorne's season better than this though. Tim O'Brien takes an absolute specky. Kicks the ball into the corridor, picked off by Daniel, a goal. Hmm. That kind of sums them up. I will say this, though. Bontempelli, McRae, Smith, Dunkley, Liberatore, Hunter. That midfield surely has to rank top two or three in the The dogs will scare people come finals time. It's the, it's a consistency issue yeah. with the dogs. And obviously no McRae for the rest of the season, but hmm. that's all right. Now, Ben Stratton and Paul Puopolo have announced their retirement as well, but with Sean Burgoyne going on, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it looks... Well, like I said, you know, it could be a faux coaching kind mm. of role. Because it, like, it looks really cool that he might get to 400. Matty Lloyd made the good point, though. It takes games away from younger players, which it's a real problem at that club. And also, when you look at what happened to Luke Hodge and Sam Mitchell, who were really pushed out the door... I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's a great move. Yeah, well, there's a school of thought that says there's no sentimentality in footy. And so obviously North pushed out Brent Harvey, you know, when he looked like he was going to maybe break Michael Tuck's all-time game played. So, yeah, it's interesting. Teams have different ideas about this. But in a season when there's a cap on coaching, you know, maybe maybe he's lucky. Mm. But look, he's, he's still good. He's still good. Yeah, he's not amazing, though. Brisbane 11-7-73, defeating the Swans 6-5-41 in a comfortable win at the Gabba. Surprisingly quiet game from Lockie Neal and Hume at Luggage. 15 touches each, which is really unlike them. This is the depth of the Lions, though. Their other guys in the midfield just stepped up. And, and also quick turnarounds, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at any of the raw stats in this one, you'd have actually probably thought the Swans had won it. They did really well in the, in the counting stats, but... The only thing Brisbane really won were the hitouts and and the inside fifties, but and obviously the score as well. But Joey Kennedy probably best on ground in a losing effort. Twenty six touches, ten tackles, eight clearances. Luke Parker was. He's brilliant. my favourite. I love Joey. He's, yeah. yeah, he's magnificent. I think Luke Parker might be a really unlucky non All Australian this year. Well, it's funny you say that. I think he'll be high in our club's best and fairest with Jake mm, Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Now. I will ask this. When it got back to two points in the fourth quarter, did you actually let yourself believe that you could win this game? Uh, no. No? <laughs> cool. 
that's all that's all I needed to hear. Brisbane at home. And hey, they kick more goals than points for once. Yay. Yay. Uh, finally tonight, Collingwood 10 8 68, Gold Coast 6 10 46. Punching their finals ticket, the Magpies. Yep. Getting some players back at the right time. Mm, yeah, Jordan Degoe and Adam Trelaw both back. So Degoe was absolutely magnificent in his first game back since round seven. Four goals and another goal assist. 26 touches from Trelaw. Just shows how important those two are and their chances moving forward. There's talk on social media, though, about this miracle goal from Mason Cox. We've seen it. All he did was take a mark, have a bounce, and kick one from four. Yeah, clickbait. Very much so, yeah. yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. Now, just quickly before we move on, we've got to talk about this race for eighth. So it kind of leaves us with this following. Fremantle, Carlton, Essendon, officially done. Put lines through them. So with one game left, the Bulldogs play the Dockers with a win guaranteeing them eighth spot. A loss has them relying on other results. Melbourne have percentage on the Dogs in a game against the Bombers. GWS are playing St Kilda. Who you got? With absolutely no confidence at all, I would give the Dogs a slight edge. Freo have been playing all right. They're competitive. They're like they're heading in the right direction, the Dockers. I think their fan base will be a little optimistic. GWS... I think they're probably done as well. Ah, yeah. Because they need two results to go their way and they yeah. need to beat St Kilda who are going to be out fighting. So Yeah. Maybe it's that all-important Melbourne Essendon game show. Oh, that one you've been banging on about <laughs> for the last three months. The problem is you just don't know which GWS or Melbourne team will turn up. I mean, the yeah. dogs are a little bit... Yeah, it's it's a lot of inconsistent teams, you know? Mm. Who will play better? It's a really good question. Yeah. Who you got? Uh, look, I think you've got to give the advantage to the dogs and the Dockers don't have anything to play for. Whereas the other two teams really... I mean, obviously the Bombers don't have anything to play for, but the other two are relying on results. Obviously, the, the Dogs have their own fate in their own hands. So. Speaking of things to play for, there's a lot of blokes playing for contracts. And North Melbourne were insipid in that game. And they had a little brief patch in the third quarter. But, geez, you know, some blokes need to play with a bit more pride, i got to say. Yep. And, okay, bubble life and all that. But, you know, hub life, I should say. But, yeah... So in cricket, the Aussies' short-form tour of England continued with the third T20. It did, yeah. Consolation victory for the Aussies here, obviously. Enough to keep them ranked number one in the world, though, which is quite important. Finch and Stoinis, great at the top of the order. Mitch Marsh and Agar were calm in getting the Aussies home from five for 100. Although Marsh probably should have been caught at slip third ball. So England's fielding was absolutely woeful in this one. Countless missed fields, runouts missed, terrible throwing, and Aaron Finch dropped by Bairstow off Rashid, which unfortunately after I talked him up as being the better glovesman, he drops that. Oh, he still is a better glovesman. But uh, key talking point from this one, what did you think of the Steve Smith catch to dismiss Moen Ali just as he was kind of getting to get Jeez, going? Jeez, like he stepped on that rope, didn't he? Yeah. With that I, left heel? I kind of think he did. There's people saying that it was the shadows that made it look that way. I'm not convinced. Well, the, the angle wasn't brilliant, so it's hard to know without a different mm. angle. But uh, yeah. And isn't that funny? Those catches used to make you go, whoa, but now they're old hats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially at 50. The old like, you know, chuck it up. Step back in bounds, catch, yeah. yeah. Well, someone like Steve Smith, you'd expect to catch that oh, yeah. every day. They're one of the best fielders in the world. Every day. And then in the first ODI, now, unfortunately, I must admit, I didn't see this one, but Australia, 9 for 294. Stoinis with a handy 43 off 34 at first drop, but most of the damage done by the other all-rounders. Mitch Marsh had a 73. Glenn Maxwell had a 77. Archer and Wood had three wickets apiece. In reply, the Palms managed 9 for 275. Billings with a lovely 118 off 110. And Bairstow with an 84. Zampa pick of the bowlers with 4 for 55. Hazelwood with 3 for 26 off his 10. Economically spectacular as usual. 
So Davey Warner copped an absolute peach from Joffre Archer early. He he continues to be dominated by Archer, which is really frustrating. But it starts starting to look a little bit wobbly at five for one twenty three when Alex Carey was dismissed. But as someone from Perth who has seen the Marsh Brothers absolutely rubbished mercilessly on much social media, maligned Marsh yeah, Brothers. Yeah, it was great to see a steady knock from Mitch. He, he didn't go at a great pace, but he did enough to allow Maxwell to get his eye in. It was it was just great to see Maxi finally starting to tee off. Slog sweeps, reverse sweeps. So his, his wagon wheel would have been quite square, I'd imagine. A ripper of a catch from Hazelwood to start things off. But when Labuschagne took a beauty coming forward, it looked like it was going to be a walk in the park. But Sam Billings' maiden century and a well-constructed 84 from, from Johnny Bairstow, they really threatened for a little while. And it kind of looked like they might have got there, but the run rate was always a problem for them. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for England. Fortunately they, for us, yeah. Yeah, fortunately for us and unfortunately for England, they just didn't really accelerate when they needed to. And then in last night's ODI, England mostly sputtered their way to nine for 231. Morgan had 42 off 52, but it was the tail wagging at the end with Tom Curran making 37 and Rashid 35. They managed about 10 and over off the last seven or so. Stark had two for 38. Hazelwood one for 27. They were both extremely economic. I saw the first 15 overs, patches of the middle overs, and then the last 10. The, it, it was a good pitch for the quicks if you bowled it slightly short of a length. Unfortunately, after those two, though, our economy rate did kind of sputter along a little bit. For example, Samba had three, but it was he conceded 36 runs off three overs, so three for 36. The Aussie Assault started okay. Warner again got done by Archer. Uh, Finchie and Labuschagne, though, had a really nice partnership. Finch had uh, 73 in the end. Manus had 48 in the end. But then we had a massive collapse, 7 for 23, scoring 232 and falling 25 runs short. Wokes, Archer and Curran all had three wickets for the Poms. Yeah, this was a superb bowling performance from the Aussies right up until the 42nd over, and then it all just went to shit. Mm. So Tom Curran and Adil Rashid put on 76 off just 60. Which, considering they're, what, 8 and 9. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Rashid had a lovely... As I said, I saw the last 10 over. They're so. decent batsmen. Oh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Both batsmen. teams have, have okay tails. Yeah, the, or good the, tails. The, the bowling was terrible. We're bowling too many half-trackers and things. It just gave England a sniff. It kind of yeah, gave them a... Yeah, and well, it made it a competitive total. Yeah, it should have been 160, but... Yeah, those extra runs were yeah ultimately the difference. And I know you mentioned the seven for twenty three. We actually lost four for three at one stage. Yeah, terrible. Off twenty deliveries yeah, as well. So yeah. yeah, from needing eighty out of one hundred and sixteen with eight wickets in hand to all out twenty five runs short, it's, it's unbelievable, really. But mm. credit to the English bowlers, they stuck to their plans. They bowled stump to stump. They varied their pace. They bowled beautifully, and they deserved the win. There was a bit there for the bowlers if you put it in the right spots. Yeah. Which they did. Now, just one other interesting thing. There was a great little piece in the innings break about the... I think it's called... I should have taken note. I think it's called the Ace Academy for black cricket players in England, which is a really great initiative, and they've already uncovered some potential future stars. But look, there's something that I have to mention. There was a bloke that made a comment about uh, hopefully uncovering the next Joffrey Archer. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. If you want to find the next Joffre Archer, mate, you're going to have to go to Barbados. He's not in England. <laughs> Can't help oh, it. It's a great initiative. No, no, I don't want to rubbish it. It, it. it is. But I, you know, yeah, yeah. Joffre's from Barbados. Mm. And Joffre is from Game of Thrones. And now, this week in sport history. Now, a bit of a special this week in sports history, Shui. Uh, rather than giving uh, rattling off a few, we've got a fascinating story, don't we? Yeah, we do. September 9th, 1972, the Soviet Union beats the United States 51-50 in the most controversial game in international basketball history. Famous. Very famous. So with the US leading 50-49, to the final three seconds was replayed not once 
Not twice, but, but thrice. thrice. Mm. 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 Until the Soviets finally won. Yes, they did. So this was a really interesting one, and it's something a story that you and I obviously know about being massive basketball fans. But until tonight, we didn't actually realize just how crazy... Yeah, we did a bit of research, didn't we? We did. Watched the video story on it. So I managed to find a a really fascinating seven-minute video on YouTube that kind of outlined it from the Soviets' point of view. um, Commentated by the great Bob Costas. Bob Costas, one of the 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 greats. greats. Yeah, absolutely. Probably top two or three with Marv Albert and Mike Breen, I'd say. Yep. So with this one... Michaels. Yeah, our Michaels are probably in the, in the top five. So after Doug Collins made two free throws to put the USA up by one with the with about three seconds left, craziness happened. So sure the first inbounds pass happened straight away, but the Soviet coaches were actually out on the court appealing for a timeout. They were saying that they were trying to call a timeout between the free throws to try and ice Collins, I guess. And by the way, that foul nowadays would have been a flagrant. It would have been, The yeah. foul on Collins. Yeah, they put him into the... A the professional foul, I believe they called them. Yes. Yeah. So basically, the game was stopped, the ball was taken back to the end line, and the second incident occurred. So before the second inbounds passed, they were told that the clock would have to be reset to three seconds. Because what happened initially on the first one, the ball's inbounded, two seconds went off the clock, so they've had to go back and reset it to three. Mm. The timer accidentally put it back to 50 seconds, though. Mm. So on the second inbounds pass, which got no closer, because... To go back a step, the plan from the, the Soviets was they were going to throw a massive Hail Mary down to the, the basket. The old uh, Grant Hill to Christian Leitner play? Yeah, except they were planning a Russian to, to catch the ball right under the basket because mm. they had this big A bit closer, big yeah, yeah. So the first two inbounds passes, that they've had to pass it into the backcourt because one of the big Americans was standing right Defending. on, yeah, right on the, the sidelines giving him no room. So basically the clock malfunction has happened on the second one. And they've had to go back and reset it to three seconds again. So this is the third try they've got. Now, on the third try, because they'd kind of seen what had happened twice now, the American who was guarding the inbounds pass kind of went, oh, maybe I need to be away from that and try and guard these guys, which gave him a clean look, beautiful, perfect pass, caught by their their big center, lays it in at the buzzer, and that's, that's game over. So the two really crazy things to come out of this, aside from obviously all of that, was the USA then went to appeal the decision, but it was denied three to two. Yes. All three of those votes, though, came from Eastern Bloc countries. Yes, they did. So that kind of looks a little bit suspicious. A bit shady. Hmm. Mm. And the other thing that I noticed on the tape, which I had never seen until now... So the Soviet inbounder, a guy named Ivan Ideshko, actually appeared to have his foot on the end line when he made the pass. It looked like the toe was there. So it probably shouldn't have counted. It probably shouldn't have. So this whole thing is just an absolute clusterfuck, pardon the French, but... Dare I say, match referee was a pom. This is what happens when you put basketball in the hands of an Englishman. Oh, ho, <laughs> This week in sport history... And, of course, that's a lovely segue to our final segment for the show, Stewie, basketball. Little update in the NBL before we get into the NBA playoffs. Yeah, so we spoke previously about the new names for this Tasmanian team, and I had a bit of a look after our discussion, and it seems that the jack jumper is actually a species of venomous ant. Oh. <laughs> now, it's probably easy to laugh at that and go, well, why would you name yourself after an ant? But they've actually caused four anaphylaxis-related deaths between 1980 and 2000, from what I saw. Mm. So they're actually pretty nasty little buggers. But see, I'd still prefer the Tasmanian fire ants or the, the Tasmanian anaphylactic shocks. Yes, mm. that would work. If only we got them on the ballot. 
or I don't know, the Tassie Devils. Oh, the Tassie Devils, yes, please. The if anyone's Tassie listening Devils. to this from yes. the NBL, no, the it's Devils. Done, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's done. It's annoying. So now, because the well, you mentioned, that I think the Timbers have been taken from the list now. Yes, I believe at least one or two have been cut. The Timbers have been axed. You can say. <laughs> you can say. So we now have a four in four chance. Of I'm not wearing my lumber jack. Uh, <laughs> Flano for nothing. For nothing. Yeah. No, we've now got a four in four chance of them getting a shit name. Uh, it was a hundred percent chance based on the names you said last week. Oh, the Timbers would have been okay. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it's better than the Tasmania Pride. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the NBA. Yeah, shall we? So, some really the coaching carousel continues. Apparently, Billy Donovan has amicably left the Thunder, not wanting to be at the helm of a rebuild. So what they're basically saying then is that Chris Paul's gone. Quite possibly, but his contract is going to be very hard to move. It's mm. like 40 mil. Mm. It's going to be really hard to move. Yes, this is going to be a fascinating off-season for my boys, the OKC Thunder. Well, we will see who we get next. I mean, there's there's talk of all the usual names, the Mark Jacksons, the Teron Lues, etc., etc. Well, and maybe another. Mike D'Antoni has walked from the Rockets. The Pacers and Pelicans are hot on his heels, but who knows, maybe the Thunder are too. Stephen Adams will be... Quivering in his in his boots, then being <laughs> being taller than six foot six. So and apparently Chauncey Billups a hot tip for getting one of the roles too. By the way, ah Tracy Billups. Uh, well, yes, Hubie Brown accidentally did once call him that, but we love Hubie. Yes. Now on the topic of coaches, I did want to read something that I read last week about Mike Malone. Did you know that the coaches were actually excluded from having family in the bubble? Wow, no, I did not. Mm. So, Gee, that's rough. Yeah, I read something that Mike Malone had, had put on Twitter. So his exact words were, this is day number 60. Keep in mind as well, he's married with two daughters as well. Mm. The reason why I bring that up is because the players have their families here, which they deserve, which is the right thing to do. Of course. The referees are allowed to bring one guest, which is great for the referees. Of course. The coaches are not allowed to bring anybody. Wow. I say, shame on you, NBA. This is crazy. I miss my family, and I think I speak for me. I speak for my coaches and probably all the coaches down here. 60 days and not having access and being granted the privilege to have my family come here to me is criminal in nature, and that shouldn't be at all. So Mm. I want to get that off my chest. Well, there's been some Nuggets players and staff and uh, members speaking very openly in the media. So we'll get to that in a second. Yes, but no, I, I just have to say that. Yeah, well, that that's is, I did not know that. That's, yeah, it's it's fair dis- point. It's disgraceful. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Well, when you think about it, there, how many teams were, were there? 22 to start with. Even if you just said, look, if you make the first round of the playoffs, you get... Well, and that's what happened. So, yeah. so guests weren't allowed until the team started to drop off. Yeah. So, so what's yeah, another, but what's another eight if you're yeah, talking conference yeah, semifinals? Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking, speaking of, of yeah, speaking of conference semifinals, now our Eastern Conference Finals are now set. First of all, Raptors and Celtics. Since we last spoke, Game Five, Celtics one eleven defeated the Raptors eighty nine. Jalen Brown had twenty seven points, and the Celtics starters outscored the Raptors by forty eight in a game that Boston never trailed. Boston now has four wins over the Raptors by fifteen or more this season. The rest of the NBA has one combined. I believe that's a stat you've mentioned before, or that stat continues. Mm. Game six, Raptors one twenty five defeated the Celtics one twenty two in double OT. Kyle Lowry, who Mike Wilbon recently called the most underrated player of the last decade, had thirty three in a game where. Toronto was on the brink in multiple occasions and didn't score in nearly the final four and a half minutes of regulation, but they did manage the win. Jalen Brown had 31 and 16. Jason Tatum was an assister for triple-double for the losers. 
And then, finally, Game 7, uh, Celtics 92 defeated the Raptors 87. The Raptors failed in the bid to become the seventh franchise in NBA history to win four consecutive Game 7s. In the meaningless stat book, no home team won a game the entire series, with the Raptors being the ceremonial team, uh, home team, sorry, as the higher seed in that last game. So all away winners. Shit, I didn't realise that. But bubble, you know, so yeah. asterisk on that stuff. Yeah, all seven games won in Orlando. Yes. Amazingly. That's right. Yeah, geez, Celtics in seven clearly wasn't an overreaction after all, was it? <laughs> after you making that bold prediction after, uh, well, after game most, one. Most of my picks have been right, actually. Most of mine have not. <laughs> so, but no, amazing series that, that we had here. I know game five was a bit of a blowout. Game six, though, might have been the best game of the playoffs so far. I look forward to watching that one. Yeah, look, there was this crazy sequence in the second overtime. Players were just trading big shot after big shot. From the 216 mark until Jason Tatum turned it over with 42 seconds left, Daniel Tice had two dunks. Siakam had a jumper. Marcus Smart, OG Ananobi, and Norm Powell all hit threes. Powell had this crazy M1 layup over Marcus Smart off that turnover from Tatum. Kyle Lowry, who you mentioned, played 53 minutes. He was just gassed, but he hit this crazy fadeaway with 11 seconds left to push it to four. And it, it continued. Triple from Tatum, two free throws to Powell, and then eventually a missed three from Marcus Smart, who I think might have been on the line, but... We'll never know. We'll never have to know. Doesn't matter. Yep. yep. Um, game seven was an absolute, like one of those traditional playoff slots. Yeah. Slobber yeah, knockers, which, yeah, is, yeah, which yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. Both teams shooting terribly, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, low percentage. Toronto turned it over 18 times. But the Celtics got some really nice minutes out of Robert Williams, funnily enough. He pushed Ennis Cantor out of the rotation entirely. The key to this game, though, was some late hustle plays from the Celtics. So Marcus Smart had a block on Norman Powell, kind of got some revenge on him with about a minute left. Ah, yes, yes. Jason Tatum had a massive offensive rebound from a missed free throw, which then turned into two free throws himself as he got fouled. And Robert Williams got a piece of Fred Van Vliet's potential game-tying three-point attempt. So scrappy, but good enough. Uh, this series come down to one thing for me, though. Pascal Siakam did not show up. He shot 38% from the field, had just 13 and 11 in Game 7. He will learn from this series, but I, I kind of wonder why Nick Nurse didn't turn to his bench and play Serge Ibaka and Norm Powell. They both wanted to be there. They Powell had well. a good couple of last games, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, look, maybe everyone's dubbed Siakam a future star too early. As you say, you can only learn from it. You know, they'll be better for it. They punched above their weight after losing both Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green in the offseason. So maybe... You know, Raptors fans will be upset, but it was still a, a great season. I don't, I don't think it's a disappointing season for the Raptors. No, not at all. On the other side of the bracket, well, a bit of a disappointing series, really. Game four, the Bucks one eighteen defeated the Heat one fifteen in overtime to avoid the sweep. Chris Middleton scored thirty six points, including twenty one in the third and a big three with a shade over six seconds left in OT. Antetokounmpo had nineteen points, but left after only eleven minutes, re-aggravating an ankle sprain. And then finally, in game five, the Heat one hundred three defeated the Bucks ninety four. Giannis missed with his ankle. Very even mix of scoring for the Heat, who got to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since twenty fourteen. This will be the first time that neither the one or two seed in the East will make the conference finals since the NBA went to a 16-team player format in 1984. Mm, I didn't know that. And for those that are interested, it's happened three times in the West, 1990, 2007, and 2011. Hmm, interesting. Well, another one of your bold predictions officially came true in a way that probably not even you could have seen coming, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we mentioned they were down 3 nothing last week. The Bucks got a game four just through sheer will from Chris Middleton. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, Giannis went back down in the, the second quarter of, uh, of that game. and it, it, look, To me, the whole thing just comes down to Miami owning the three-point line. They had great ball movement, which I mentioned was going to be one of the keys to keep them in the series. 
Miami won the three-point line four out of the five games against a team that finished the season fourth in three-point makes per game. So they did a really great job of, of shooting the ball. The Giannis injury hurt a lot, but even with him, they weren't smooth on offense no. anyway. I don't think they would have won anyway. Yeah. My big question, though, is what happens with Giannis now? The Bucks are going to throw a super max at him. Well, he came out today, so he's still got a year under contract, and he came out today saying he does not want to be traded. So he's, it's an interesting situation. So most local players like to play in LA, Miami, some of the traditional spots. I mean, okay, we can maybe write New York off these days, but New York used to be a popular kind of place. He's obviously from Europe, so maybe his priorities are a little different. Maybe he wants to bring the Bucks back into the championship circle for the first time since, what, 71? So, yeah, I'm hopeful that he'll stay there because it'd be a real shame if he just pissed off to another super team and my fingers are crossed. Look, if he wants a small market team, OKC will have him. (laughs) So the Spurs would have him too. Thank you very much. You're in Texas. You don't need him in Texas. No state taxes in Texas. But, uh, yeah, look, a lot of people are saying the Malcolm Brogdon walkout, or not walkout, but allowing Malcolm Brogdon to leave was a massive, massive fail on the Bucks' part. So that's an interesting one. You could argue it's almost like when the Thunder let James Harden go. Well, couldn't, yeah, couldn't when they chose him, Ibaka over him. Couldn't throw in that extra $5 million. And yeah, that yeah. MVP. But, yep. yeah, interesting times ahead. I dare say from one disappointing series to another, on the other side of the bracket, the Lakers and Rockets. So the Lakers seem to spot their opposition one game and then win the next four. In game two, the Lakers 117, defeated the Rockets 109. The Lakers actually had a 21-point lead turned into a deficit when the Rockets had a 41-point third quarter, but they did get the win in the end. In Game 3, the Lakers 112 defeated the Rockets 102. The big news here was that LeBron became the all-time playoff winner with 162 victories, beating Derek Fisher. In Game 4, the Lakers 110 defeated the Rockets 100, another comfortable win. Uh, they won the rebound count 52-26, to so it did happen in the end. Harden did his playoff disappearing act and only shot 2 of 11, was a bit passive in that one. And then in Game 5, comfortable win, LA 119, Rockets 96, breaking the longest Western Conference Finals drought in their history, which was 10 years. <laughs> Some teams would die to have that sort of yeah, clip, drought. The Clippers would. <laughs> well, the Clippers still haven't made them. <laughs> uh, and Russ only had 10 in that game as well. So, hey, I keep saying it. The Rockets are a really good regular season team. Okay, I can see small ball ball doesn't work against Anthony Davis and LeBron James. No, look, there was, I suppose, a few notes that I made from this. Game two, LeBron just refused to let the Lakers lose. I mean, he had all the big plays down the stretch, blocks, steals, massive dunks, a really key fadeaway. Yeah, once again, though, Russell Westbrook tried to do a little bit too much. Interesting notes from Game 3, though. This is when we started to see the Lakers kind of downsize a little bit. JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard logged a total of seven minutes between them, all from JaVale McGee. And kind of a yeah a sign that they were trying to fight fire with fire, but obviously use Anthony Davis as their, their big. Mm. Rajon Rondo was huge in that game. 21 points and nine assists. And more importantly... Hey, we did say... Rondo, Rondo, playoff Rondo. But it's funny because I was listening to one of our previous episodes just today and we were sort of talking about how the injury was on his shooting hand so it might cause problems. He went three or five from deep in that and actually looked really good. He had his 1,000th career playoff assist in that game as well, ah, yep. which, is, which is pretty cool. But yeah, the Lakers outscored the Houston bench 42 to 16 and all 16 of those were Jeff Green. So wow. yeah, they, they just got more out of their role players. After Game 3, though, I was a little bit worried about Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green. Both of them only had one steal through three games. They were both shooting less than 35% from the field, but they were both in double figures in Game 4 and 5 and looked a lot more engaged on defense, so good to see them sort of turn it around. 
But, yeah, a couple of key things, I guess, about LeBron. We've got to look at some LeBron stats because there's obviously so many of them. So LeBron had his 88th career playoff game with at least 30 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists, which equaled the combined totals of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Wow. He is a beast, isn't he? He's phenomenal. At his age, what a specimen. Yeah. Now, how crazy is this when you look at his playoff resume? So you obviously spoke about the 162 playoff wins. So that's first all-time. Yep. He's third all-time in total games played, only 12 behind Fisher, and he'll probably pass that if they make the finals. Mm. He's also first in minutes played, points, field goals attempted and made, second in three-pointers made and attempted, although Clay Thompson and James Harden will probably pass him at some stage. Free throws made, uh, and he's second in attempts as well, just 63 behind Shaq. He's sixth in rebounds. Third in assists, he only needs 80 to pass John Stockton for second. Mm. He's first in steals. He's second in triple-doubles, only five behind Magic. And he's 12th in blocks now as well. Wow, wow. Blocks was a stat they didn't start counting. Yeah, until... I mean, Bill, Bill Russell probably. Yeah, Bill Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. probably yeah. does as well. Exactly. But he's also first in turnovers by some way. I guess that probably comes with the territory. Oh, it does. It does. But I mean, in most people's eyes, he's got to win a couple more championships before he gets that goat. And it's so funny you say that because the question I have written here is, if you take out the final losses component of that argument, is he the goat? Well, he needs to win at least one more, maybe two. Stats aren't everything. Winning's important. I mean, he's carried some average teams as well. I I mean, he is a magnificent player. Magnificent. And for those that don't know, Goat is greatest of all time, by the way, of course. Is it? Yeah. Well, I, I just, thought we were just comparing him to... Just in case. Just in case. Just in case. No, it's it's a really hard one. And I must admit, I, I, I struggle with this question all the time and, and this whole notion of who is the best. And it's hard to compare because... Well, it's all subjective. Different eras and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to go past. Well, his case gets stronger and stronger by the day. It really does. And i tell you what, if the Lakers win this year, mm. all of a sudden he's really knocking on that door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And still looking like he could play another four years at mm. least. Well, maybe not at least. But yeah. Cl- Clips Nugs. Clips Nugs. So our final uh, series left and it is still alive. In Game 3, the Clippers 113 defeated the Nuggets 107. Super defender Kawhi Leonard blocked Jamal Murray's dunk attempt with one finger. After his, the... his middle finger as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> giving, that's, <laughs> takes giving him the middle finger to a new level. so good. Uh, and most blokes wouldn't have been able to, but he's got those almost baseball-like mitt hands. Hmm. After the Clips trailed by 7 early in the 4th. Game 4, the Clippers 96 defeated the Nuggets 85. Biggest news there being Michael Porter Jr., and I kind of alluded to this earlier, kind of, uh, you know, said that maybe he wasn't getting enough touches or he kind of said that everyone but Murray and Jokic weren't getting enough touches but he meant himself yeah, of course uh, which is pretty pretty gutsy from a rookie well I dare say a bit out of line for a rookie that too uh, he's a good player but you know uh, game 5 Nuggets 111 defeated the Clippers 105 this is where the Nuggets comeback starts again they like being down 3-1 apparently mm-hmm. they overcame a 15 point second half deficit Murray had 26 Kawhi had 36 for the losers game 6 which was today the Nuggets 111 defeated the Clips 98. This time they rallied from 22 down. Jokic had 34, 14 and 7. George had 33 for the losers. It's a 22. I know it was 19. Jeez, I didn't realise it got up to 22. I believe it was 22. That's what the uh, report said. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Look, this is the this, this series of the conference semis so far. Denver looked dead in the water down 3-1. They looked dead in the water down 16 at one stage in game 5 in the first half as well. And they looked dead in the water today. So each time they're on the canvas, they just keep getting up. 
Clippers curse? Potentially, yeah. Mm. Still haven't made a Western Conference Finals? Well, it's interesting you say that. They're actually 0-7 in closeout games that would have sent them to the Conference Finals mm. as well. Mm. But yeah, up to Game 4, the Clippers were just getting anything they wanted. Leonard was dominating them. Moving to the last couple of games, though, in Game 5, it was Paul Millsap's 14-point third quarter that woke the Nuggets up, and he kind of got into a little bit of a He stood up to Morris, yeah. It which was good, Marcus I thought was Morris. a really, really great thing, and, yeah, and it yeah. showed them... Grizzly showed, veteran kind of yeah. playoff action, yeah. And it showed the Nuggets... He didn't play for Memphis, did he? You've got... <laughs> I, I, but funnily enough, the biggest player that game was a massive triple from Michael Porter Jr. with one eleven left in the fourth quarter that... Didn't really seal the deal, but it, it put them up by five and it gave them a, a really big boost. And yeah, game six, I mean, the the score that I saw was 68-49 at one stage and then they went on a 19-2 run in about five minutes. So yeah, the Clippers ball movement just stopped. Denver shot the lights out. Djokic had four triples, three from Michael Porter Jr. as well. And if they win game seven, they'll be the first team to rally from 3-1 down twice in the same yeah. postseason. Yeah, yeah. So game seven tomorrow is going to be epic. Yeah, yeah. So we better do picks. Yeah, we, yeah, we should. Boston and, and the Heat. What do you reckon? I'm going to hedge my bets here because I don't want Boston to win. So I'm either going to get it right or the team that I want to actually win is going to get through. So I'm going to say Boston in six. I'm going to say Boston in seven, but with not a lot of confidence. Playoff Jimmy Butler. And look, Bam Adebayo, is, I think he's better offensively at this stage of his career than many thought he would be. So yeah. they've got some fearless players to hate. They've got good playoff players, mm. but I will take Boston by a nod. And then the West, well, I guess we've got to pick either way. So, okay, if it's the Clippers, what do you reckon? Lakers so and Clippers? If it's this is the this is what I would call the bubble of LA because usually it's the battle for LA, but they're in the yes, bubble. So yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. If it's Clippers Lakers, look, I I said the Lakers would win it. I've got to stick with them. I think Lakers in 7. Yep, fair cop there. Ah, oh, well. I feel like I need to stick I, look, I have no confidence here either. I feel like I have to stick with the Clips though. So, if it's the Clips and Lakers, I'll say Clips in 7. Mhm. If it's the Lakers and Nuggets, I'll say Lakers in six. Yeah, that's what I had as well. Because the Lakers always spot the opposition in the first game for some reason. Yeah. And I'll give them one more. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I was going to go. And then I'll finish this with the biggest NBA news of all. Uh, Lou Williams has trademarked the name Lemon Pepper Lou for his uh, little meal that he got at that strip club. Tasty. All right, Stewie, another jam-packed week once again. What are you apt for? I mean, obviously, Game, game seven, 7, Clippers and Nuggets. Yep. As I said, if the Clippers win, we've got the bubble of LA. If Denver win, we have a rematch of the 2009 Western Conference semifinals because I know you love series that far back being referred to as a rematch. <laughs> um, back Good at home, reference, yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. I mean, back at home, oh, look, I don't want to say it because I know what it will do, but Adelaide and Richmond. Oh, yeah, okay. Two, yeah. two of the form sides, who would have thought we'd be saying that? Yep. I mean, I continued my fine form last week. Boston-Toronto Game 5 was a blowout, and Freo beat North Melbourne by 64, as I mentioned before. So even as a joke, I can still ruin games. Come on, the Crows. What are you at for, Nath? Oh, look, definitely Game 7 of Clips-Nugs. I hope it's a, another classic. I'd love to see a Nuggets-Heat finals. I think that would be magnificent. Mm, that would be. Time will tell. Until next week, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Sport Blokes.